Following on from the cult success of Event Horizon, 1998 saw Paul W.S. Anderson not straying from the sci-fi genre as he teamed up with David Webb Peoples, best known for the, as the writer of Blade Runner, to bring to the screen a long-mooted sidequel to Blade Runner, uh, which had been long in digestion for around 15 years at this point. Now, under the t- title of Soldier, the film itself had to, through, due to various legal reasons, had to remove all links to Blade Runner, instead being turned into a summer action blockbuster with elements of hard sci-fi, making it certainly an interesting prospect and one which saw it finally finding an audience when it was released on DVD. The film itself sees Kurt Russell, a soldier trained from birth, um, finding himself now rendered obsolete and literally rendered on the junk heap as he finds himself stranded on a junk planet um, only to soon find that his former employers are now using the site as a test site for their new generation of soldiers I'm Elwood I'm Kim and this you're listening to Movies and Tea let's take it to the booth This is, of course, is Movies and Tea, and tonight we are going to be looking at the 1998 film Soldier. Uh, this is probably one of the lesser-known films, I think, right next to Shopping, On when we look at the Paul W.S. Anderson filmography. I mean, certainly this was a film that I hadn't seen, I don't think you'd seen, No, Kim, I haven't. And so this was like a real blind watch for both of us, which is kind of unusual. Um, I mean, I was aware of this film, I just never for one reason or another never actually got around to watching it i think i was in college and i remember people talking about it but you know for whatever reason i was just renting other things i was watching requiem for a dream or virgin suicides or <laughs> some art house nonsense that i was probably into at the time it's uh it now makes me wonder why we're not obviously talking more people aren't talking about this film as it's certainly an unusual mix of a film. I mean, we got elements, as we mentioned already, of hard sci-fi and that summer blockbuster action mm-hmm. as uh, Kurt Russell, despite his aging status, I mean, the man never looks like he's ages, but here he's certainly the aging action hero, decides to uh, pull up, strap on his action boots for like another round of uh, hearted in action and certainly delivers, in my opinion. But, I mean, opening thoughts on this one, Kim, I mean, what did you think of Soldier? I thought Soldier was pretty good. Um, obviously, yeah, you said it already. Like, it's it's definitely one of the... It seems like maybe something of a less-known film from Anderson. And, I, like, I, like I said, I haven't watched it before. and But that's not really surprising since, um, for Kurt Russell's fame, I actually haven't seen a lot of his films. 
So okay, yeah, I I remember I remember one of his films really really a lot, and that was The Thing. And that's yeah. the only one I really remember that I've seen. I think I started Big Trouble in Little China once, and I never actually went back to finish it. It's not because the movie wasn't oh, really? good. It's just because I never – I think I, like – I was in, like, some crazy phase, and I never went back to watch it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, obviously, I've seen him in, like, the Fast series and stuff like that. Uh, was it Fast or Expendables? I can't remember anymore. Um, it's, yeah. yeah, he's yeah, in the, the Fast, Fast series, series right? movies now. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I mean, I thought this one was really good. Um like well pretty good i don't think it was really good i think there were it's all like it's it's definite flaws in it um but i think that one of the reasons why i didn't catch on as much as it did and it it i was looking around and it seems like it gets really low ratings and i think it's mainly because it's really similar especially like when you look at the world it's set in in that sort of like um broken down world it it resembles a lot of say Mad Max or something um like kind of like this junkyard world where everything is just broken apart and you're caught up in that thing and and you know with the amount of respect that people have for Mad Max it seems like you know sometimes when movies come a little too close to what some other film is and I mean we talked about this for Event Horizon as well how you know if you were to compare Event Horizon to something else which was really similar that could be one of the reasons why it has a cult following but Nothing really like, you know, it doesn't get a lot of points for, I guess, uniqueness. But Soldier is really good. It has some really nice characters. I mean, Kurt Russell does a really great job at the action sequences. Um, a lot of it is is pretty, pretty cool to watch. I mean, you know, you start off right away and, you know, just rendering him obsolete. You know something bad is going to happen when he enters in this fight with this, like, genetically engineered soldier. And you can't help when you watch a film like this to be like when the, you look at the timestamps that are there and you're like, yeah. you're like, wow, our world isn't like that. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, this is way into the post-apocalyptic future and certainly this junk planet. It's, I can see where you are with the comparisons to Mad Max and I mean, I don't think when this film was released, a lot of people would have picked up on that because, I mean, Mad Max, before Fury Road came out, there's like a whole group of people who had never even heard of Mad Max. I remember when it was like in the lead up to uh, Fury Road coming out, and I remember going on uh, the Lambcast, and I was like, I was so excited for the trailer for Mad Max. I've just seen it at Comic Con, and I cried watching the trailer. It was like so beautiful, and everyone's like, What's Mad Max? And I was like, Well, it's, it's kind of like Fast and Furious, but on crack. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I remember there was a lot of blank stares at the time, but yeah, I can definitely see the uh, link. Um, certainly on a video game stand, it brings to mind Fallout, especially for myself. For sure. Like, Fallout definitely goes into that category. I mean, if you were talking to me before Fury Road, I would not know what Mad Max is either. I've never actually successfully finished Mad Max. So, like, I don't understand, like, the hype for myself. I, I just don't get the pacing. Okay. Um, but I understand the world, you know? Uh, but obviously, we're talking about Soldier, and... I think one of the really good things about Soldier is that I think after we've talked about Anderson's film so much and just his directing style, you really see a lot of those previous styles really coming together. And in this one, there are some beautifully framed shots. And I think that that at this point, it's starting to really become apparent that he is quite the artist behind the camera. Like he really knows how to craft yeah. these beautiful angles and really capture like the essential things that make this shot stand out. And 
show what is important to the audience and just, you know, kind of accentuate on that world that this is set in. Oh, definitely. He's certainly, he's a very underrated as a visual director, I find, with Anderson's work. And it's certainly once you highlight the continuum the regular themes within his work and sort of his stylistic flares. I mean, certainly we here we get a classic example of his God's Eye view um, after the chain fight sequence where the camera not only piles up, uh, pans upwards to go back to beautiful bird's eye view, but it rotates as it moves, which is just really gorgeous shot and something we certainly see more in the Resident Evil films. It became like one of his trademark shots in that series. There's less, obviously, when we look at some of his other trademarks, such as like the Endless Corridors and the Symmetry. That's less uh, used to an effect here. Well, there there was still a decent amount. I mean, one of the first moments where, like, you know, the soldiers just standing there and you really see that shot where there are those, um, the colonel and the other guy. I don't remember. There was a colonel and, and, and the other trainer, right? And they're and then there were their two soldiers lined up face to face, and that was a very symmetrical shot. For that was one of those first shots that really stood out to me. And then you know you have those chains in the like right in the center of the screen, just dangling down. You know, obviously, you know you had a lot of like pulled back shots where you know when he first went like um, found himself in the junkyard, like that wasteland area. He like walks out and he's like the center. He's like that center character as you see yeah. like um, the broken pieces around him. And I think that that's still considered, it's kind of so symmetrical, I guess. I would say that uh, falls, I mean, again, it's certainly a Nanson trademark shot. I mean, it's one of those classic centered shots. Um, I mean, it's something we've mm-hmm. sort of neglected on the previous episodes to discuss. Yeah. And certainly when you look at things such as like Mortal Kombat and Event Horizon, you can really see those centered shots come into play. And I think here it's all the more powerful when we look at how he's, presenting this junkyard planet because it looks and feels like a much more expansive universe it looks it feels often that we could go for miles in a direction and just see more parts of these junks that these scavengers are sort of living amongst and just the way he as i said his camera work is just so so good and his sense of scale in particular really gives everything uh makes it not seem like you're on a set it makes it seem like you're in an actual this sort of post-apocalyptic desert environment this like futuristic junkyard that these scavengers are basically made a life for themselves uh, out of scavenging things that other planets are dumping on their planet Mm. and it's an interesting contrast as well especially when you look at the desert planet and we look at the military uh, structures because at the opening of the film we have this we have this opening sequence where um orphaned infants are selected from birth to be raised to be soldiers mm-hmm. and we see uh, sergeant todd kurt russell's character basically his whole backstory is followed through um sort of junctures in his life and it shows the different training that they undergo uh these kids to go and i think it's such a great training montage because it mm-hmm. shows how these kids are being taught to be cold and ruthless killers mm-hmm. Um, like we have the scenes of the scene where they have like the animal day in the classroom and it's they got the warthog and then they got the attack dogs and you think oh they're just going to show them these animals sort of like growling at at them and they have to sort of face and look at them and then no we're going to put the animals together and watch them kill each other and you see the one child try to look away and the instructor just calmly uses baton just to make him 
forces his head back so he has to sort of witness this gore. Mm-hmm. And throughout it, it's just constantly like, we're dehumanizing these children. We're training them so they're just the perfect killing machine. And it actually ties back into very realistic military training. Because after World War One and Two, the military discovered that they could have reduced their losses because many soldiers were going into combat and unable to fire their weapons because their mindset was that they couldn't kill another human being. So now when you look at modern military training, it's all about putting uh, trainees in the mindset so that they are, it's like a flicking of a switch that they can just like go into combat zones and do the job that's required and in turn reduce the amount of potential casualties that can be on the battlefield. And here we're seeing sort of like the extreme version of this. Um, these orphan kids and they're just being, re- they're just, by the time they're finished, they're sort of like emotionless killing machines. Mm-hmm. Yet they have their own established code of honor, like they won't harm civilians. Um, whereas when we see this new genetically engineered soldiers that um, are brought in, and uh, in particular, we've got the sort of head of this unit, uh, Kane, uh, who is played by Jason Scott Lee, who is probably best known for playing Bruce Lee in the Dragon biopic. Um, and they're just, as I said, they've just been bred just so they kill anything. It doesn't really matter if it's innocent or not, they'll kill uh, anything. They, the new military thinking is that we're just going to breed these soldiers and it's just all about forming the ultimate killing machine. And that's all it's about, it's delivering results. Um, and as you said already, we have the the opening scene where Kurt Russell's sort of um, original soldiers are shown to be how obsolete they are because you see four of them engaged in this chain fight which is so cool to look at these guys just basically climbing up chains and fighting each other like some futuristic version of uh, gladiators or something and uh, it also me- makes Kane, uh, his character look all the more cooler because he gets his eyes sort of gouged yeah. out and he has this cool looking scar when we see him which makes him like instantly more evil than he was before <laughs> um, yeah, yeah I mean like you but- know I think that I think you make a really good point here is that, you know, for one, we get to see the montage of just, of just like, you know, Kurt Russell going like Todd going through these like 17 years of training and all the wars that he's gone through and all these like significant events that has crafted to him to be the soldier that he is right now. And the only thing we get of these genetically engineered soldiers is really that is really in that one fight scene. We get to see that fight scene. We get to see that their, you know, their speed in that just one scene. It crafts who these, I guess, ultimate fighting machines are, as you call them. It is. It's very good at establishing what uh, each group is certainly capable of doing. Um, and certainly in the sense when, we, when we're looking, obviously, like um, just have ruthless these, these uh, machines. Are. And it certainly build, works well with setting this mindset, really, for when we get into the finale, which is just sort of the balls-to-the-wall action sequence as we got uh, Todd basically taking on on these new genetic uh, soldiers as he acts as the guardian defender of uh, these people who have sort of took him in. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's just re- it's great how you he how simple the sort of setup is of how these characters are established and what they're capable of uh without how requiring masses and masses of backstory it's all very quick flashes and it's very direct and uh, straight to the point but that's a, i think that's what i really like about anderson's films a lot um he didn't granted he didn't write this one but 
I mean, a lot of his films have stories that, you know, have just enough complexity to make it interesting, but not like overly crazy so that it's, it's, you know, really, really hard to follow or like a lot of information overload. And I think yeah. that sometimes those things deliver some of the best stories because you don't really need a lot of characters. You see a lot of people, but you don't, you focus in on like just a few characters that matter and they really build a story together. And, you know, I think that, you know, what it is is that this one is kind of like, you know, we do have a bit of that sci-fi. We have a bit of that um, action, well, a lot of the action. And, yeah. but then you also have this like kind of, um, comedic insert of him being in this, like, being thrust into these, like, um, th this group of people that he's never interacted with normal civilians before in, in that sort of way, right? And he just feels like, you know, it's just kind of like this fish out of water sort of story. And a lot of it is, I always like these kind of stories because it's, it's like someone learning how to be human again, you know, how to interact. And he's just socially awkward the whole time. And he'll make these, like, weird things. And he's, like, you know, he doesn't say a lot. And whenever he says anything, it's, like, you know, just, um, just you know, soldier talk. You know, he'll be, like, sir. And then da 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 He'll go on and talk, talk about something else. And I think that I really still craft, like, he still stays in his character. But you start seeing, like, that... I don't know what it is. Is I, I think that, you know, sometimes it's hard to be like, okay, well, Kurt Russell is a fantastic actor. No, he's a fantastic action guy, you know. He does really great action sequences. Um, that's the same thing you can say about Sylvester Stallone. Do you think that he's a great actor? No, he's not a great actor. Hmm. You know, it's, it's the same concept. And Kurt Russell, actually, in this one, kind of shows that he is actually capable of being a little bit more because... In roles where you actually don't talk a lot, you actually express a lot more through your actions and through your expressions. And I think that it was a, it was a side that I really enjoyed watching. And and for that reason, I, I thought Soldier was really great. I mean, aside from like all these familiar faces we've recently seen in this whole Paul W.S. Anderson journey that we've been having. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned already about, about these villages and... In particular, I mean, one of the main sort of crutches of the story is the fact that you've got Carrasso Soji, who, as we mentioned already, I mean, he's been bred for war. Uh, essentially, that's his 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 lot in life is to go and fight uh, wars for his. I mean, how would you put it? His employer, his army. That's what his has been there for. So he has no real social interactions, and you're basically seeing him when he's in Kansas City villages trying to learn how to interact with humanity at the same time having to deal with these flashbacks to his military past he suffers like this on what could almost be seen as like a PTSD, PTSD syndrome. Yeah. Um, and we see him while the villagers themselves I mean they're very quick to welcome him in even though he's like this I mean he's a living weapon and he has a couple of moments where he endangers the villagers and they actually cast him out but for whatever reason, uh, he's quite happy to to go back when they need him. Um, and I think there's a wonderful scene where, um, for some reason, this this planet is infested with these green snakes. I don't know why these snakes are there. Whether some other planet is like said, like you know, screw these snakes, we're going to go and dump them on all this this other planet. Well, it is waste disposal. <laughs> yeah, that's one way of getting rid of the snakes. And 
we see this snake and it's um going to attack attack this young boy the family he's been taken in by um which, which is uh jason isaacs no sorry it's uh he's been taken taken in by sean Pertwee's uh family and his young son um he he stops this uh snake going to attack his young son at the same time he like tosses it aside and he's like he's like almost in a sort of like maximum way he's like trying to instruct him to like how to kill the snake how to defend himself by using the boot and encouraging this child to kill this snake and uh obviously john Poby's character comes in and he thinks that he's endangering the child's life and it leads to him being thrown out but obviously it comes full circle when later in the film sean Poby, uh Poby's character and his wife are asleep in bed and the snake's back and then the young boy rescues him rescues his parents by killing the snake using the method he was seen and it's almost like that old fable of the uh the king who's who who kills his dog because he believes it was injuring his child and he found out later the dead snake and he realizes what was happening it's almost like you're seeing a variation of that is that he realizes that when he's cast todd out that exactly what he was trying to do he was you know he was trying to teach the boy to be able to survive for himself yeah. and not just rely on his parents to be able to survive in this real harsh environment um now when we obviously look at uh, Pertwee's character and in particular his wife Sandra played by Connie Nielsen there's this real undertone that there's going to be a romantic uh, <laughs> connection between her character and Todd and when okay spoiler alert now when Pertwee's character gets blown up it's like oh well he's out of the picture that clears the way for those two to get together and it's really to Anderson's credit that he doesn't he doesn't do that he doesn't have Todd suddenly regains his humanity and is able to embark on his relationship. I mean, he allows him that little glimmer of humanity at the end when he like picks up, picks up the little boy and he points out to the destination they're going to. But I was so glad that he didn't go down the obvious romantic angle the film seemed to be wanting it to go down, because um, she seems to be flirting hard with with Todd. Yeah, but see, that's the thing is, don't you find that like it's. They're like the ending. I have no problem. I think the ending is really great the way they ended it. And I'm really happy they didn't take that romantic angle. Um, but it, it, it almost feels like, you know, these are super fascinated with each other. You know, like, like, I, I don't know if you, I would call it flirting more than the fact that like, it feels like she's being a mother to him, teaching him about, you know, the world around him and, the, and, and you know, just um, regular people and how they survive and that sort of their everyday living. And, but at the same time, she's also like kind of fascinated by this kind of like cold hearted killer that seems like, you know, he's like the mysterious dude effect, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then you have him where he's looking at her that he really is, you know, googly eyes over her. And he's just really like it's it just feels like he's so attracted by this creature, you know, this beautiful creature in front of him that is is so tender, is so nice. He's never experienced something like that. And I don't know, like I was thinking like there would be something romantic going on. But then at the end, it kind of felt like if you think about it a little bit more, maybe maybe it's still, you know, 
in the horizon that we don't see outside of the frame of this film, right? Yeah. And that's an open story that you can you can think about if you want. Maybe fanfics have been written for it for diehard fans. Who knows? Um, but I mean, like, it's I, I really I really like that that story just like with how these two characters are crafted because at the same time you really see that you know um, the wife um, Sandra. She is she is very in love with with her husband too. You know, like she is in love with um her husband is uh, Sean Pertwee called Mace. So it's it seems like it's I don't know. I mean, on one hand I don't really think that she was being flirty. I think that she was just being a mom. She was being very caring and he's never experienced it. So but it, it's nice that he does keep into his character, but you can see at the end, I think just by like that last scene that you were talking about where, you know, he takes up the boy. He He's also, you know, slowly this humanity is infesting him, but nothing really takes away that nature of who he how he was trained from birth. Yeah, definitely. And I think the relationship, I think the only other example I can give for the relationship we see between the, these two characters. I mean, it reminds me a lot of the Jet Li film Fearless, where his character is sort of taught to be re, re, remodeled by uh, the young, the blind young girl Moon, uh, played by Lucine. And you see, like, Jet Li's character, and he's very hot-headed and quick to anger, and, and by teaming up with this uh, young Mongolian girl, and he's taught how to and working sort of the rice paddies and just it's almost like a similar sort of scenes we see here when we see her teaching him how to like plant the flowers in the gardens <laughs> that they're they're planting and stuff here and these little bits of teaching him how to to reintegrate with society and i mean we even see like one of the villagers tries to give him a, a scarf and so you see people trying to reach out to him but at the same time he's so locked in this mindset that he's been living for so long, he just can't let go, even though we do see little glimmers of it outside of, obviously, his sort of, like, uh, programming. Like, obviously, when it comes to, like, him protecting the villagers, that's easy to understand because he's, like... As I said, it, it's his his uh, area of expertise. War is his... what mm-hmm. he knows. So to protect villagers and in- kill these uh, new super soldiers... That's um, that's not difficult for him, but to obviously engage with other humans on like an emotional level is just something that he really sort of struggles with. And at the same time, he's being constantly plagued with all the things he's done up to mm-hmm. landing on this planet. So he's trying to find a way to work through all this. Um, I mean, it, as I said, it's not something you'd expect to this sort of uh, complexity. Much less like the high hard sci-fi element that we have throughout this film, um, especially when you consider how much of a traditional popcorn action movie the the final final quarter is of this film, where it's just like basically him going around like a like the Terminator, blowing things up and killing people. <laughs> I mean, I've never seen a rocket launch used in so such close proximity since like Death Wish Three. It's like. <laughs> He he felt he felt like man you know he was really really in his element you know like that that one fight on that those chains was definitely not you know not all that he had to offer because you know you watch this part like the ending part is just so great because you watch him and he's like 
oh, he starts off really stealthily going through everywhere, and then eventually he takes their weapons, and he starts, like, he starts just totally defeat, like, defeating everyone, and then you just watch, like, I don't know if you did it, but, um, they said, like, the specific amount of soldiers that were there, I think it was, like, 17 or something like that, and then as, as each one got killed, like, we were, like, counting down <laughs> how many were left. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was, it was really, it's, it's a, you know, it's a really, in, in many ways, it's also a really fun movie. There's a lot of, like, satisfaction in, 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 in the whole production itself. Oh, definitely. I think the, the production itself, I mean, first of all, visually, it looks, it looks fantastic from, like, Especially if you're into like futuristic military hardware, this is like a lot to enjoy here. And I love the fact that uh, Anderson actually employed shorter actors. When we have these big armored vehicles rolling in, which are, like basically like converted um, mine dump trucks, and he employed shorter actors to stand by them so they actually look bigger. Uh, oh, really? They were. Yeah, they, he employed actors who were under five foot to stand next to the the trucks when they were like moving, so that they seemed a lot bigger. Uh, which I thought was a real, a cool little visual trick, and yeah, the the look that these new super soldiers have. I mean, they're all in this sort of like gas mask and black armor. It's it's completely different than obviously Kurt Russell's uh, the original sort of soldier unit, who are just like basically your average um, your average army sort of drones. Um, but I think whereas before we've obviously uh, we talked about like. With Mortal Kombat, I mean, that was Anderson really trying to make his version of Enter the Dragon. Um, and then when we get into Event Horizon, we have all these, like, horror nods that he included. I think certainly when you look at this film, again, there are so many nods to other films throughout this, scattered throughout this film. Um, in particular, Kurt Russell's career, there is um, various... If you When you pause on his little rap sheet, and his medals that are all in relation to different Kurt Russell movies. There's bits of there's a in when we look in the junkyard, we've got like uh, part of the spinner from Blade Runner. We've got part of the plane from uh, Executive Decision, the movie did Kurt Russell did before this. We've even got part of the Lewis and Clark from Event Horizon, uh, which is in there as well. So there's a a lot of fun little nods. I mean, there's even like video game references to like Doom in here mm-hmm. if, if you're willing to look for them or just if you go for like uh the imdb trivia section there's um some really fun little sections here and it kind of makes me wish that they'd done a sequel to this film had it not been a flop um certainly anderson agrees that this is set in the same world as blade runner and he said that if um if they'd gone back to earth then they would have encountered deckard uh, harrison's ford character from blade runner so they would have tied over um more and certainly when we look at uh the new blade runner movie uh 2046 2049 2049 sorry um this film actually fits within the timeline um when they obviously mentioned about the 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 bio um the super soldiers that they're developing it all fits within the timeline so even though they've made all these efforts to disconnect this film from um blade runner it still fits perfectly in the timeline which i think is still a really cool trick oh uh, i i mean i i can only agree with you i've never seen blade runner so (laughs) (laughs) the the discussion is kind of short here just because i mean um 
I'm I, I I'm really really picky with my sci-fi films. So yeah. I don't watch a lot of sci-fi. Um, I don't. And and then on the same at the same time, I, I don't. You know, like I said before, I haven't watched a lot of Kurt Russell films either. <laughs> so this is a whole new experience for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kurt Russell, I mean, he's an old school actor like Harrison Ford. I mean, he does a lot of his own stunt work in the film because it's not like the fighting and, and physical work. It's, they don't view it as being stunts. They just call it physical acting, yeah. which I thought was really great. And he actually broke his ankle during the filming of the um of the film there was a fake press release that said that he'd broke it performing a stunt when actually he'd uh he'd br- fractured it tripping over an ornamental cabbage so that's probably <laughs> slightly less cool <laughs> yeah probably <laughs> so uh they may have explained why they wanted to cover that one up um i mean when this film came out i thought kate russell hadn't worked in a while but looking on his filmography i mean this comes after breakdown and escape from la so this film was actually sort of fell um so we have this film and then he takes a break into 2001 when he does 3000 miles to graceland and starts doing some lesser known films like he did like dark blue and then he starts coming more back to the forefront really around 2006 2007 when he does like poseidon and death proof and then Obviously, he's uh, now doing the Fast and Furious movies, and I think it's really, really uh, cool. But certainly, uh, at one point, Keanu Reeves was signed on to it, was attached to this film, um, as well as during its uh, developmental history. Clint Eastwood really liked the script and was going to direct at one point, but uh, eventually dropped out. So it's uh, certainly seen its seen people come and go. I mean, Sylvester Sloan was originally going to play this part as well, but he decided to go off and make First Blood instead. Whether that would, whether this film would have worked uh, in like sort of that heyday of sort of muscular action heroes, and whether that was the best move for uh, for Stallone to do First Blood, obviously the first iconic outing of the Zerambo character instead of doing this um, this film. I mean, I I can't help but wonder is an alternate timeline where Soldier is this amazing franchise like that's his Rambo. Um, <laughs> I got so instead of like uh, Rambo in Vietnam, we just got Rambo in space instead. <laughs> oh my goodness! I I don't know. I mean, like you can go a lot of what ifs, right? I mean, whoever would have been tagged on, I guess people who dropped out of this project probably was happy that they did because yeah. it flopped. Uh, but would they them being connected to the project have changed the quality of the film? You know, no one knows, right? It's hard to say, because um, I mean, there's so little information on on the actual production of this. I mean, they have never updated the DVD of it, and anyone who follows our Instagram or Twitter feed would know we had it. We had a good week's fun just like uh, looking at the the disc of this because the, the funny part is because you you are the one who photographed that DVD, and then <laughs> I went and picked out my DVD that that same week. And I was about to watch it, and I looked at it, and I was like, "Wait a minute, this is the same thing as yours." <laughs> yeah, because uh, this is this is one of the like one of the first DVDs that came out. So it's in a cardboard sleeve. It's also a flipper, which if you're if you're not uh, old enough to remember DVDs first came out, they they never used to all be on one side of the disc. So we can like cure diseases and put a man on the moon, but we can't fit a whole movie on the same side of the disc. So you would normally get like part way through and then you'd have to get out of your chair and flip the disc over. And 
Oh, it was just a nightmare. And this disc is still in its flipper state. They've never updated the disc. Um, there's a Blu-ray now available for it, which I would hope that you don't have to flip. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I've never seen a Blu-ray to flip. Have you ever seen one that flips? Uh, no. This is the thing. No. I've, I've not seen a Blu-ray. I don't think you have to flip Blu-rays. I think they... Oh. They, they have a ra- rather high capacity. Yeah, so... I don't know. Maybe someone's nostalgically made a Blu-ray flip. Because <laughs> it's like... It's not the same experience unless I have to get out my chair halfway through to flip it. Then I tell you, you go and buy yourself a laser disc, you gotta flip all of those babies. A laser disc is... It, collecting laser disc, that's... I think that's up there with, like, collecting cine film. It's, uh, it's a whole... It's a whole other art. Laser discs are like this whole category to themselves. It's people like when I say, "Oh, it's like VHS." It's an obsolete format, but it's really not. It's it's like a DVD, uh, but you're getting like original theater cuts and the framing's better. And I think we could do a whole episode just talking about why laser discs are still worth worth collecting. Um, <laughs> so that may be something for future, because otherwise we're going to go off on a major tangent. But. Um, Certainly something that we haven't mentioned here when we talk about the cast. Gary Busey turns up as a military officer in this, and it's a very reserved Gary Busey, because normally he's well, he's mad as a box of frogs. Um, but here, apart from analogies about what his daddy taught him, um, he's very reserved here, and I thought, wow, that's a kind of a low-key performance from him. And we get to see Michael Chiklis with hair, which threw me as well. For myself, I mean, this is a film so well worth discovering. I mean, it's one of those those delightful hidden gems in Anderson's filmography. Uh, from here, I mean, this was his last film before he sort of really launched into the stratosphere, directorial-wise. And from here, I mean, he goes on to make the Resident Evil movies and really gets associated with being like a video game director. So this is sort of like his last, his last sort of experimental. Uh, film so to speak because where we obviously I mean as we said, we said before I mean more combats like his version of Enter the Dragon for myself this feels very much like him trying to recreate Alien there's so many shots that feel and certainly when you look at the military hardware that just brought to mind Alien when I'm watching this um, certainly when they're escaping the planet in the dropship well it uh, nukes mm-hmm. um, and I also love the fact that the nuke looks like a football because you know the nuclear football but <laughs> um but yeah i mean this is i think this is a film certainly well worth discovering uh even if you're just watching it for some throwaway action fun i mean it delivers as an action film it's a little bit of a slow burn in the first half where it's sort of more focused on sort of the hard sci-fi um element but um i think it it for myself it more than delivered i really i really enjoyed it um and it makes me regret not obviously watching it sooner. But, um, I mean, Kim, what did you... Have you got any sort of final thoughts on this one at all? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I do think this one is worth discovering. Um, it is definitely a hidden gem. I would, like, amongst the hidden gems, if it was between Soldier or Shopping, I probably would watch Soldier um, over that other one. Yeah. Um, just because I feel like the story here works well enough for what it wanted. Like... I, I guess it kind of it's a lot more complex than kind of like the sci-fi action that you would have expected. Um, so that kind of you know there there you know there's and there's a decent amount of humor in it that that kind of works as well just with um, 
with, with what they're trying to do. And yeah, so I mean, and plus they have like really, really beautiful sets. I think like, like I, I keep saying that it's, it's a, the scenes and the framing. And I'm a, I'm a huge nerd in that sense. Or I really love <laughs> watching movies that are visually very appealing to my eyeballs. So it works really well for me. Um, and definitely, I think, like, because the movie's not really long, it kind of goes by really fast. I, yeah. I don't even think the first part was really slow-paced. They get – things move along fairly quickly. Um, so it, it is one that's definitely worth discovering if you are, one, a Kurt Russell fan, and two, a sci-fi action fan. Uh, just something in that category that really – that, you know, I think it delivers fairly well. Um, well, you, I mean, obvi- uh, sorry, you yeah, obviously, on. obviously, like if you were, as we usually do before we end the show, uh, what would you pair with soldier? Um, for soldier, I mean, I was initially, I wasn't sure what to pair it with and then I had a couple come to me. Um, first off would be no escape from 1994. This is from Martin Campbell and stars Ray Liotta, uh, Lance Erickson as, he lands. Uh, really, Otto basically plays this uh, soldier who, at the opening of the film, um, is charged with murder because he kills his commanding officer, and is essentially dumped on this prison island where the inhabitants have broken off into two separate camps. You've got the psychopaths that are hanging out in the jungle, and then you've got the more peaceful convicts who are hanging out by the shoreline. And um, basically, you what you are watching these convicts who are trying to form a new society on the island at the same time having to worry about these psychopaths in the jungle who obviously have all the weapons they have all the equipment and they're basically threatened to overthrow the island it's got certainly there are elements in this uh certainly when we look at the the society elements that brought to mind the um scavenger society we see in soldier the more obvious one when it comes to post-apocalyptic would be from 1989 and that is Albert Pruin's Cyborg uh, with Jean-Claude Van Damme as the martial artist wandering the apocalyptic wasteland and uh, generally doing his, his thing. This, like many of Albert Pruin's movies, is a bit of a cult classic and it has actually released um, a director's cut that is available out there as well which actually improves a lot of the pacing of this film but uh, while it's not Van Damme's best, it's certainly Van Damme in a post-apocalyptic setting. So if you uh, want more of that, then uh, that's definitely the way to go. And I mean, Kim, I mean, what did you come up with for your further viewing, though? Um, I actually went uh, fairly recent. Um, I went to 2013 uh, for Ender's Game. Um, Ender's Game is sci-fi action adventure. It also focuses on kids pretty much being trained into the military um, to fight these um, hostile aliens called Formics who have attacked Earth. And they're sent off pretty much into space to learn how to deal with gravity and deal with all these things in the setting that they have to fight them. And it's based on, obviously, the... um, Ender's Saga by Orson Scott Card, who is really, like, I find the movie is not quite as compelling as the books themselves. It kind of, like, loses in translation what it does, but it also does this whole, you know, um, humanity kind of concept behind, you know, training kids into military and just the the toughness of the, you know, the the things that you see and the, you know, the mental and, and physical challenges of the whole ordeal. Yeah. And 
you know, I think that that film really compares to this one in in a lot of, you know, a lot of ways, both sci-fi action and just like that, um, that emotional journey that they go through, I guess. Cool. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a certainly fantastic choice. Another film that I've yet to watch, um, but I mean, this idea of uh, training kids for military uh, combat, I mean, there's, it's just, it's such a, a great, I'm not saying it's a great idea to, to, to feature this, but the way it's uh, certainly handled here and, and certainly from what I've seen of Enter's Game, it's, it works uh, well. I mean, it's certainly something that we uh, didn't mention as well uh, when we're having those flashbacks and we see the young child as a child and just how young these kids are like ready for war uh when he's he's like in carries to beat the living snot out of uh one of his fellow classmates and on the background you can see the alphabet chart has been replaced with military words so it's like armor battle combat fight go harm impair jerk kill murder nuke obey punch quell rage x-ray um and yell <laughs> how many x words do you have come on <laughs> uh xenophobe <laughs> Um, I'm not sure that applies to war. <laughs> um, imagine, imagine they did like imagine they had done this movie and then they put Xenomorph in there just for good measure. Just it so would that not surprise were... me. I mean, he includes a reference to Marvin the Martian in this bloody movie. So, but um, yeah, I mean, we I would say say we we had fun with this one. Absolutely. Um. But, uh, Kim, I mean, where do we go next? <laughs> We're going into 2002 with Resident Evil, one of my ultimately <laughs> favorite franchises. I know you're still working through them, but they are my favorite franchises. <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah, this is going to be a big one. Um, as we're not just doing, we're not just doing Resident Evil. We're looking at, like, the big old slab of Resident Evil here because... Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I have still well, got to watch the last one, but yeah, it's gonna be yeah, exciting. To, to be fair, we're we're gonna only do the ones that are directed uh, by Paul W. S. Anderson. Um, maybe talk a little about because he did, I think, do some screenplay or some producing work for the two in the middle that he didn't direct. Uh, but like, really, how the story and how it's how he's how he's like structured the Resident Evil universe based on, you know, the video game um, with the same name. Yes. I mean, this is obviously the series which gave him the moniker of being a video game director and uh, certainly the one which I think opened more doors for him than many of his other projects perhaps did. Um, so certainly I think that it's going to be... It's going to be certainly an interesting one because it's certainly not a series that kept to one tone. It went through many different... Uh, ideas and i think it's the one one of the more personal projects for anderson so i'm going to look forward to diving into that one in the next episode um in the meantime you can obviously follow us on instagram we are on twitter as well as facebook as well um so please let us know what you think of the uh show and your thoughts on paul Anderson's filmography um also if you're listening to us on podomatic or itunes or stitcher or SoundCloud or anywhere where good podcasts are found, make sure that you do hit that like and subscribe button as well as leave us some reviews as it all helps to get the show more out there and uh, helps more people obviously discover what we're doing. Um, but uh, thank you all for listening and thank you, of course, to my co-host, Miss Kim Lowe. Thank you to you. And um, 
we will be back next time when we will look at the Resident Evil franchise. But until then, gas on! what it's like to be the bad man to be the sad man behind blue eyes and no one knows what it's like to be hated to be faded to telling only lies but my dreams, they aren't as empty as my conscience seems to be. I have hours, only lonely. My love is vengeance that's never free.